Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Future is Bilingual podcast. My name is Heather, and I'm your host. Today's episode is an interview I did with Ina this past Sunday, and I've been working really hard all week to get it edited and ready to be published in time with her book campaign. So her book is called Trilingual Me, Moi Trilingue, and we're going to hear all about it during the episode. But if you are interested, uh, you can look her up on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, looking up one of those titles should bring you to her page. Or you can go to the show notes and I've put links there to make it easy. So just a quick shameless plug, Ina and I are very similar. We are both French teachers, albeit at different levels, and we both live in English dominant societies. And we both miss having intellectual conversations in French or conversations with people who are not our students. So we've decided to start some Zoom calls just for fun. And we've invited the Instagram community and we've got some feedback already. And we would love to invite anyone listening to this podcast to come join us. Uh, the first one is going to be Sunday, November 29th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So you're going to have to see what time that would be for your time zone. But if you want to have more information, come find me on Instagram. The future is bilingual, one word. And I'll be publishing more information there, like the code and the password and things like that to get into the Zoom call because we do want to make it safe. So without further ado, let's get to my interview with Ina. Welcome, Ina. Thank you so much for having me on. Hi, Heather. Hi, it's great to have you. Thank you for, for being willing to talk. So why don't you introduce yourself? Um, okay, so bonjour, hello. Uh, my name is Ina Fikatina. Um, I'm 28 years old. I'm an elementary core French teacher in uh, Toronto, Canada, and I'm the author of Trilingual Me, Moitre Langue, um, my first language book for children. That's so wonderful. And what are your three languages? Uh, I'm proud to be trilingual. I speak Russian, English, and French fluently. My first language is Russian, and English and French are my uh, second and third languages. Um, I my periods of ac active acquisition were during my childhood, and I consider English to be my dominant language. Okay. And what age did you start to learn English and French? Um, I started learning English when I was um, seven years old. I immigrated to Canada when I was seven with my parents, and mm -hmm. I had to learn English because this is the language that is spoken here, and I didn't know any English at all when I came. And... Um, uh, about six months into learning English and my life, my new life in Canada, I started learning French at school as part of the core French program. Um, so I was learning English and French at the same time. And I started learning both when I was uh, seven, eight years old. Wow. Now, did you find that difficult? I did. It was really challenging. I found it very frustrating not to be able to communicate, especially because of um, I, I had a lot of challenges with my speech development uh, when I was a child and um, I had trouble learning my first language as well. So after finally being able to overcome all the challenges with that and being able to speak Russian, I now had to face a new challenge with the immigration and learning not only one, but two languages. 
So it was very, very challenging, but um, I overcame those challenges with a lot of support from my family, my teachers. So I'm very happy to share my story with you today um, yeah. and tell you all about it. Can you tell me more about the difficulty you had? Yes, absolutely. So my language acquisition story began on the day that I was born. Um, when I was born in Moscow, I had a difficult birth and um, I was born with a brain hemorrhage, which caused problems with my speech development in my early childhood. I had great challenges learning my mother tongue. And uh, for the first five years of my life, I couldn't speak clearly, and it was very difficult to understand me. Even now, as an adult, looking back to the videotapes um, my parents took of me when I was about four or five years old, it's very difficult to understand what I am saying. So, but again, so that I, I felt that I was normal, there was nothing wrong with the way that I spoke. But it's very, very clear that mm -hmm. I had difficulties with my speech. And I had a very supportive family. I'm the only child in the family. I had um, a very dedicated oral language pathologist that I um, spent a lot of time with in my early childhood. What age did they start working with you? Because I know in the U.S., um, we have like free support, but it stops at age three. So a lot of parents yes, try yes. it's early called early intervention. intervention. That's right. I, I'm not sure exactly it. the ages, but I know it, it was before kindergarten. Mm -hmm. I, I am living proof that early intervention works. And any students, any parents of students that I teach, whenever I hear that there might be something going on with their speech if i can hear it i definitely mm -hmm. i tell the parents don't wait there are so many talented yeah. speech language pathologists that will be able to help your child so please if you're noticing something even if you're not sure take your child to a speech language pathologist and have them um, do a consultation mm -hmm. have them listen to your child's speech and then hear it from the specialist. What do they think that you should do? Because it is so important to take action and to do it as early as possible. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. That's such good advice. And it's definitely needed. I think, you know, all of us as parents, we might understand our kids because we're the ones around them 24 seven so I think it, yeah, it's, it's never too early. Like I said, in the U S it goes until three and then I believe you have to pay for it. So the idea is to get it, mm -hmm. get that Definitely. intervention as Definitely. early as possible. Yes. Yes. So when I um, finished uh, with the um, speech language pathologist, I remember my biggest challenge, especially because my first language was Russian was rolling my R. So in English, the letter R, we don't roll our tongue in order to mm. say it. But in Russian, the letter R, you have to roll your tongue in order to be able to say it. And I'm not able to roll my tongue. And I remember 
my speech language pathologist, she would have to, my time with the speech language pathologist, I was able to finally roll my R's and I just felt like biggest accomplishment. I just felt so on top of the world that, that here is something that I was never able to do. And it was so hard. And no matter how many times I would try, I wouldn't be able to do it. And now I'm finally able to do it. And it's just so rewarding to experience working so hard towards something and then finally being able to do it. And this is something that I mentioned in my book. And this is something that continued later on with do like a special massage of the tongue to help loosen it so that I would be able to make the sound. Because if if you are not able to pronounce one of the letters, then any word that has that letter, you won't be able to pronounce that word correctly. And, and I remember after I finished learning English as my second language and French as my third language, this feeling of, okay, I know this is hard. I know that I keep trying, but it's not happening right now. But I'm motivated to keep working at it because I want to have that mm -hmm. feeling again. I want to feel that feeling of that rewarding feeling of I did it. I'm able to do it now. Yeah. Being successful after a struggle is much different than just easy success when exactly. it comes easy. And Throughout your journey, both the positive feelings of happiness and feeling proud and or worried so mm -hmm. it's it's all part of the journey but yeah. in the end it's it's so rewarding now to be able to share it with others that is very yeah inspirational and i think it's going to be so wonderful for the little ones i you know there's many kids out there that are maybe struggling you know immigrants like you are just struggling to learn another language I think it's very motivational also for any parents that might have children with some speech delays. And a lot of parents will, you know, wonder if they're doing the right thing by introducing another language and maybe they'll stop because of a speech delay. Mm -hmm. um, so you are a success story and, you know, it's obviously challenging, but it is something that they can overcome. And, you know, you're so proud to be trilingual. You've written an entire book. You're an author about it. The reason that it's such a large... Um... Age range. Age range, thank you, is because <laughs> depending on the level of the language that the child has, for example, students in uh, primary grades, for example, in the French immersion program, they can read the book as well as students who are in the mainstream program in uh, learning English, but in the core French program, they can learn it once they are in their preteen age because right. um, their uh, French language skills will be strong enough to read it in French at that age. Um, so it depends on the the level, the level of the language yeah. of, of, of the child, yes. But it's that also makes very, um, it's a great story for to read as an, even as an adult. So mm -hmm. it's really for any ages, but I would say the target age would be from 4 to 12. That's a really great age group, I think, as well. 
kind of before those teenage years. <laughs> kids, kids are going to be around that age. But I think anyone who listens to this podcast would definitely be interested in this book. I know I personally am as a parent. I am curious. So you say English is your dominant language, but you're also a French teacher. So mm -hmm. it's just, it's such an inspiration that you've gotten that good at these languages, right? That you're confident in teaching other kids. And I think being someone who's learned it yourself makes you a better teacher than say just the native that takes it for granted. Absolutely. Um, and I, Absolutely. I know from personal experience, I've taught ESL as a native English speaker and I'm not a good ESL teacher. You know, I, I just I feel better as a French teacher because I went through all of those steps and I went through all those challenges of trying to understand this complicated grammar, memorizing the vocab, having to learn pronunciation. And that's not to say native teachers are not good. This is a debate we've had. Um, I've had with friends and people before, but it's just, it brings, you bring a different perspective when you've had to learn it yourself. I completely agree. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, did your parents know French or English? You know, why did they choose Canada? Um, those are, or did they end up learning along the way? Those are great questions. Um, so I am the only one in my family who speaks French. Uh, my parents are bilingual but um, their dominant language is Russian. So at home, we speak Russian. But my mom attended uh, English immersion um, when she was growing up. So she learned English as a second language at school in Moscow. And um, my dad did not learn English until after we had immigrated. But neither of them speak French. So I'm the only French speaker in the family, which was also one of the challenges that I had to overcome because I was learning this new language at school and I really loved learning it. And I wanted to, um, I knew I wanted to be a French teacher from a young age, but I had the challenge of living in an English speaking environment and uh, no one in my family spoke the language. So um, it was, I, I didn't have um, additional practice at home. Yeah, you were kind of on your own. Yes. And exactly. then in class. But um, they did see how much I enjoyed learning French. And I had a wonderful, wonderful French uh, tutor who was also Russian speaking. Um, and um, I was with her for about five years. And she taught me French in addition to what I was learning at school. But it was definitely a challenge being the only person in the family and living in an English uh, speaking environment and also learning this third language. Yeah, no, I can only imagine. But that's great that you had a tutor um, and that she was Russian speaking, I think even helps more mm -hmm. because she can really relate to that when your Russian was, you know, stronger. So how would, how long would you say it took for English to take over? Like how long were you Russian dominant? So until I came to Canada, when I was seven years old, I only spoke and heard Russian. And uh, when we immigrated to Canada, Russian remained the language that we used most commonly at home. Um, and English was used outside the home, like at school, and French was also used at school um, and during my private lessons with the French tutor. But because I had regular exposure to English, I heard it everywhere. I had to use it in order to communicate. Um, it really accelerated my ability to become fluent in it because... To be frank, I didn't have much of a choice. And this is something that a lot of immigrant children or immigrants in general can attest to that um, when you come to 
another country and you don't speak the language, you are in a way forced to learn it because this is the only way for you to thrive in this new country is to be able to communicate in the language that they speak here. Mm -hmm. So I do want to say that because I came here at seven years old and that was during the critical um, age that uh, helps yeah, for language for language acquisition that helps you mm-hmm. to learn a lot faster that was definitely something that helped and um, for instance my father who like I said also did not speak any English until we came here he was in his 40s when we immigrated and for him learning English mm-hmm took a lot longer becoming fluent. um, His journey took a lot longer than me, even though we both lived in this English speaking environment. But uh, I do feel that the age also helped me as well. Yeah, no, for sure. That is very true. And then having school and friends and Mm -hmm. I feel like children just have more contact in school than you know, any adult in a best work case, you know, scenario, because adults just kind of put their heads down and do their work. Whereas kids are constantly <laughs> talking. And I just think, yeah, kids are, they're just very social. Definitely. Um, so there's that advantage as well, mm-hmm. that kids just want to communicate mm-hmm. and play games and sing and do all those things that adults, we just kind of can be silent all day if we, <laughs> if we wanted to be. So when did you feel like you spoke each language fluently? Um, I felt like I needed to prove my level of proficiency to native speakers in English and in French. Um, And uh, I felt that I was fluent in English when I was still in elementary school, but it took me longer to feel fluent in French. Um, And it wasn't until I was in university specializing in French and I graduated with a certificate of bilingualism that I felt that I was fluent in French. And um, like I said, like I said before, I believe that fluency is a state of mind. No one has the right to decide whether or not you are fluent. It comes from within. And I also believe that I completely um, agree. Ultimate fluency is not something that we can really ever attain because language learning is a lifelong journey so yeah oh it's constant I'm a native English speaker and I'm constantly learning new words you know I can't I can't read a novel without coming up so it's it's definitely um it's not a competition it's not about how fast you learn it and this is something that I tell the parents of my students Um, I find that um, mm-hmm. I get a lot of questions of, okay, so how how long will it take for my child to be fluent in French? And I have to explain that mm-hmm. it's not really a set amount of time. It depends on how much effort you put into it. And exactly, there's so many factors. Exactly, yes. Yeah, it's, so. There's so many factors. I think that's such an unfortunate, um, I just think it's unfortunate that many people promote, like, learn Korean in a week, or, you know, fluent in Spanish in two months, and all these programs that are like, you know, 12 weeks to fluency in Japanese, but it's like, yeah, I don't know, there's just many publishers or bloggers, YouTubers, they like to put these numbers and times, Um, I don't know, I don't know why, I guess it's, 
Sounds good. <laughs> it's kind of like New Year's resolutions, like we were saying. You know, everyone wants to lose 20 pounds this yes, year. Yes, I guess um, I guess it, it, it gets people's attention. But re- like we discussed earlier, it's important to set realistic expectations of yourself and um, and make realistic goals. And um, it is important to set a timeline um, for certain things, but to have a general timeline of, okay, by the time I'm this, I want to be fluent, it, it's, it's not at all how it works. And motivation is, is one of the most important yeah. factors in um, determining um, your success when learning a new language. And my motivation was my love of learning and my desire to be independent when it comes to communicating. And this all stemmed from my experience um, in my early childhood, not being able to um, communicate independently, clearly. Um, And then when I immigrated to Canada, I faced this challenge again. I did not, uh, I was not able to communicate independently in English because I didn't speak the language. And I didn't want to have someone asking questions for me. I wanted to ask them myself. So that was definitely something that was a huge uh, motivator for me was this desire to be independent um, when it came to communicating in any language that I learned. And this is something that took a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the end, if you work hard at it and you stay motivated, you stay focused, um, in the end, you you will be successful. But exactly. And especially if you if you really want it, then, you know, you will work towards that, exactly. that you, end you goal, no matter how long it takes to you get can't there. Set, um, so, yeah, you can't set is a, huge. a date on fluency. Yeah, you can, you know, have your, you know, some goals and things you'd like to get to, but you don't want to set yourself up for failure and then feel, feel bad about yourself. That's not what we're aiming for. So like you said before, we should enjoy it, do things that you enjoy so that it doesn't have to feel like so much work, you know, it doesn't have to be worksheets and packets. (laughs) First, did you ever feel like you were losing some skills in any of the languages and you had to bolster them in a certain way? Sometimes I feel like I'm losing my Russian. For over a decade after we immigrated, I had daily practice writing and reading in Russian because I would email my grandparents on a daily basis and I would read their responses. So I had that regular practice in Russian for reading and writing. Um, And obviously I spoke Russian at home, so I would be listening and speaking it as well. Were you able to take any books back, you know, with you guys when you you immigrated? Yes, yes, we do have Russian books at home, but I find that the older I got, the less I read in Russian. And it is true what they say. If you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah, something else takes the place. You know, it's not that your mind went blank. It's that English filled in, French filled in. Exactly. But I am still able to read and write in Russian, but not as well as I did when I came here. In terms of my English, I feel that it is ever evolving, even though I am fluent in all three languages. I 
I am in the process of learning all three languages. Um, language learning is a journey, a lifelong journey. I still feel that I feel like every day there's always an opportunity to improve your language proficiency. One of the ways that I have been keeping up with my French skills is I have just completed my Master's of Education in Modern Languages Education in French. Felicitations! Congratulations! Uh, so it was a two and a half year program and this book that we're going to discuss later on, Trilingual Me Montrelingue, is my thesis project for my master's. And now that I have finished my master's, I am worried that my French will start to suffer because um, even though I teach French at school, I teach at an elementary school level. So it's not quite mm -hmm. the same as... Mm -hmm. So I, I am going to hopefully level of language that I've been using the past two and a half years while completing my master's find um, a way for me to continue to practice my French skills so that I can not lose my level of proficiency in French when it comes to uh, speaking with someone who is above elementary school age. Yeah, I feel that frustration, even with high school. It's like you need other adults, yes, peers, colleagues, mm -hmm. people your age, for sure. How is it finding French material in Toronto? Do you get TV and things? Is it easy to get materials from Quebec? Quebec is, for, so from Toronto. So, Or is it is it really English dominant? I'm it, not really it sure. Is, it is very English dominant in Toronto. We do have French channels um, on TV, but very limited. Quebec City is about a 10-hour drive from here, and Montreal is about a six-hour drive. I know this very well because I spent two summers in Montreal while I was doing my Master's of Education. I had courses in Montreal during the summer. Uh, that was an amazing way for me to practice my French because it was everywhere in Montreal. Uh, so it is a very French speaking and mm -hmm. it was great to be able to be in a French speaking environment. So because it is not that far away, my visits to Montreal, um, hopefully. It's funny that you say not that far, because I believe for me in Massachusetts, Montreal is only five oh. hours. Um, so I'm actually closer, even though I'm not in Canada. Well, um, or it's like five and a half. So we're probably pretty similarly well, distant. Hopefully, maybe just, we can meet up yeah. one day in Montreal once it is safe again to travel. Um, that would I be think, great. I would love that. I love Montreal. I, I love too. Quebec it, in general. It's, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. So hopefully, uh, now that my master's program is over, one of the ways that I hope to continue practicing my French is to surround myself with French speakers. And unfortunately, there's um, there are obviously French speakers in Toronto, but not as many as in Montreal. So, But in terms of, uh, you asked about the French materials, how easy it is to find, mm -hmm. I would say that you, you do need to put in some effort in order to find French resources and French mm -hmm. materials. Sounds similar. Like I can find things here, but you kind of have yeah. to search. And it's, you know, America is definitely English yes. dominant. So it's probably pretty similar. Here? You and I, even though mm -hmm. you're in Canada mm -hmm. and I'm down here. 
Well, maybe we can create a group of people who speak pretty advanced French to, you know, do some Zoom calls. That's a great idea. I, the winter is, yeah, the winter is mm -hmm. going to be long. And I'm also in the same boat. I did a master's in French. Uh, it's been seven years. <laughs> so I graduated in 2013. So it's been a while. And I'm not teaching in a high school anymore. So I don't have daily contact mm -hmm. with colleagues and students. So I'm also really mm -hmm. missing just having intellectual conversations in French because I'm trying to speak it with my kids, but that's, <laughs> that's nothing. It's, it's like, not do you want some milk? <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, it's not. It's just, just mm -hmm. like your job. So if anybody listening wants to have some conversations with us in French, look out for that on mm -hmm. Instagram. So Ina and I are both on there and we will maybe try and get something to happen, even if it's monthly, like a kind of like a book club or something. I don't Sounds know. Sounds great. Yeah, there's something we can do because I'm also dying to have more French in my life. How do you keep a balance with your, do you feel like you're keeping a good balance with three languages? Do you struggle to keep the balance? Like I try my best to keep a balance, but it is never equal. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Fallacy, that a bilingual or a trilingual person is going to be, you know, 50-50 or 33-33-30. Like, that's just not no, how it works. I, I, I think that... The most important thing is that you have the desire to keep up with your languages and that you have ways or strategies to mm -hmm. do that. And, and that, that you, you do them. That. Exactly. That's my struggle. Yes, but it's much easier said than done, but I, I do feel that it mm -hmm. has to come from within. In the end, if you're not enjoying it, you're not going to do it. And this, this goes for anything that, that we do, whether it's working out... <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Well, New Year's <laughs> is coming. So that is going to be a topic on everyone's mind. So, what do I want to improve? So I feel it's that um, you need to have realistic expectations. That's also very important. Realistic expectations of what can what you can do. Um, and I also feel that it's important to not be so hard on yourself that you're, mm -hmm. you're trying your best. And there are things that sometimes are is out of our control for instance like like we talked earlier we both live in an english dominant environment and although um we are looking for ways to practice our other languages it is definitely harder for us so i i feel that we need to have realistic expectations but also not be so hard on ourselves if we do find that we are perhaps not as fluent anymore in a language that, that, that we once were, um, not, to, not to have any negative feelings of failure or discouragement, um, because mm -hmm. like, like you said, it's... Well, my, my previous guest, Amy, was saying how each language is like a plant. So it's living, it's changing. So, you know, kind of looking at it that way, it's like you have mm -hmm. to kind of water this plant, you have to take care of it. Yeah, having a visual really helps. Right. Yeah, I find apps and things, you know, even just having like a streak mm -hmm. on Duolingo mm -hmm. or I take um, a Polish class on Saturdays and, you know, I just it's always at the same time, like it's 2 p.m. on Saturday. And it just because I have that in my schedule, like it's non-negotiable mm -hmm. now. Great. So I feel like if we can make those for ourselves, like mm -hmm. I will mm -hmm. read this book when I wake up or I will study this. It's just you have to like put it in your schedule that's true. Very time. true. Yeah. And like you were saying, I think we need to be realistic. You know, we have to actually look at what our mm -hmm. days look like. So for me, like I have two toddlers at home, but if I can be realistic and say, okay, you know, if I have 10 minutes, then I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read this book. Keeping it realistic is mm -hmm. very important. 
All right, well, let's get into the book because I want to hear all about it, even though I'm ordering a copy. Please. <laughs> Thank you so much for your support you of know. the book. I'm very excited to talk about it and to have everyone um, be able to finally read it. I, I started working on this book back mm -hmm. in November of last year, so it's been a year in the making. Yeah. And I'm so excited to finally have it, um, have my vision become a reality. The book Trilingual Me, Matrilingue, is a dual language children's book. It is written in English and in French. And it is the story, the incredibly true story of my personal journey of becoming trilingual. Actually, because a lot of people don't know the full story. People know that I am a French teacher. Mm -hmm. They they know that I was born in Moscow and that I immigrated to Canada. But there's a lot to the story that a lot of people don't know and is very exciting and yet also a little bit nerve-wracking to be so open with everyone about my mm -hmm. story. But I yeah, I can to, imagine. But that, I think it'll I be think worth it. You're going to I wanted to um, share it uh, with everyone, especially in a children's book format, because as a teacher, as a French teacher, I see a lot of students who are not motivated to learn languages. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of statements that I hear that, oh, I can't do it, or it's too hard, or uh, I'm just not a language person. And mm -hmm. I feel that by sharing my own story, that it will inspire um, those who might not be very motivated and that think that it's too challenging to learn a language, let alone two, let alone three. So um, I'm really excited to, um, to finally share my story with everyone. I think that's such a wonderful reason. And you're so right that we have, even at a young age, people can have such closed mm -hmm. mentality, like, oh, I'm just not good at languages. And it's not just languages. This is, I'm not, you know, mm -hmm. I'm not a math person. Oh, I, you know, I don't like science. And it's so easy to kind of put yourself in a box. I don't know how to cook. Well, you mm -hmm. could. <laughs> Everything's possible exactly. to learn, and, right? And it's important to be open with your own experience because, if I had had those types of thoughts and, and if I said those types of words, then I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't be a core French teacher. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do um, my master's of education. I wouldn't be publishing a dual language children's book if I said, oh, it's too hard. Oh, I can't do it. Oh, I'm just not good at this. And and uh, what you will learn in the book is that I had more than enough reasons to just give up and not believe in myself or just not pursue language learning. And it turned out to be, this is my passion. My passion is learning, is teaching second language to, to others. That's a great message because what could be scaring you, you know, could be the thing that becomes who you're going to be. So like when you were a seven and eight year old, you know, coming over here, you might have been scared. Like I have to learn English now, I have to learn French. And now look at you. Now you're got a master's in French, you're teaching, you're dominant, you know, you've got such command of these it's two actually that like could could you have imagined when you were seven Absolutely that this is where you not. would be? And this is something that I talk about in the book. 
I, I talk about the feelings that I felt on that airplane when I was immigrating, when I was flying over. And one of the quotes from the book is, on her long flight to Canada on a big airplane, she wondered how she would fit English inside of her brain. So this is something mm. that I still to this day remember these feelings of, how am I going to do this? This is so scary. And if I had had these negative thoughts, how different my life would be if, if I said, this is too hard, I can't do it, no. Yeah, it's so true because when you look at, let's say, like the English language, the English language is this humongously, you know, this this huge thing and it's so rich and it goes from like baby talk to Shakespeare and that when you look at the whole thing, it's this monstrosity that you're like, how mm -hmm. am I ever going to conquer this? But when you, you know, break it down day by day, I feel the same way. Like if I want to learn a new, a new language, you know, you can be so overwhelmed. Like, how am I going to learn 20,000 new words or whatever? Mm -hmm. I don't even know what the number would be to have like mm -hmm. a basic conversation. But it does. It's yeah. super intimidating if you kind of are taking it in full view. Especially um, since my first language was Russian, which had a completely different alphabet from English. And uh, a lot mm -hmm. of um, different grammatical structures to English. This was also something that was a challenge for me because... Um, it didn't translate perfectly. Like with French and English, I'm sure you yes. see that things can translate yes, almost word for word. Uh, yeah. I noticed when I was learning French was the similarities between English and French, like les moi mm -hmm. and um, the alphabet is the same. Like, oh, this is great. Even just where yes, things yes, go exactly. in the sentence. But um, I will say that knowing Russian also really helped me with my French acquisition because French and Russian have a lot of similar rules. Uh, for example, we have um, mm. tu and vous in French and ti and vous in Russian. Yep. Uh, same with the masculine and feminine nouns, uh, both in French and Russian, which... Yep. Are not, it's not the case in English. We don't have, we just have the pronoun you, um, whether it's singular or plural, formal or informal, and our nouns are not masculine and feminine in English. So, so does Russian use like the vu form? Is yes, that also yes, it's plural, the same like rule. If, if you're talking to someone, if you're talking to one person and you're addressing them in a formal way, you would also in Russian use V, like in French, we would say V. It's exactly oh. the same. Oh, wow. I didn't know that because oh, okay. Polish does not Yeah, so it, it, I, I, yeah. I definitely found the more languages I learned, I found um, more and more similarities between, if not um, one language and the other language that I knew. Um, and that definitely really mm -hmm. helped me. And this is something that I talk about in the book as well. Yeah, that's such a good point. I feel like the more we know, the easier it is to make connections. And English and French have a lot of shared vocab and things of that nature because the French conquered, the Normans conquered mm -hmm. England for like 300 years. But then English, I've never studied German, but like English and German, you know, English is Germanic. So people say there's a lot of similarities there mm -hmm. in the Scandinavian languages. And just looking at them, you mm -hmm. can see it looks like English a lot. I have not studied any of those languages, but I do think I it is very fascinating. Have you studied any other? No, languages? for now it's just Russian, English, and French that I um, that I learned. Mm -hmm. uh, but I never say never, so we'll see what yeah. the future holds <laughs> in terms of my yeah. language acquisition. 
Well, it's not <laughs> like you've been busy or anything. So <laughs> just writing a book before the age of 30, you know. Thank you. It's amazing. Yeah, I think this is so wonderful. And I can't wait to get it for myself and for my kids. Um, my son will just be hitting Aww. four next year. So That's great. That. Perfect. <laughs> I'm curious, do you use all three languages in a typical day? Like, do you still talk to your parents every day? Are you able to so, fit French um, every day? I would say that although it is not an equal amount the, of time throughout the day that I use each three language, um, I do uh, use all three every day. I still see my parents on a weekly basis. So I speak uh, Russian with them when I am at home. Um, English is spoken at work and with my friends. And um, French is also uh, spoken um, when I'm teaching my students French. And also, up until recently, I also spoke French during my, my sessions, um, during my master's program. Mm -hmm. So I would say that every day I speak three languages, but the amount of time I spend speaking each language, that, is, that varies. That's great, though. Do you have any good resources or things that you use in your classroom that would maybe help some parents? That I get are this question a lot from the parents of the students that I teach French. <laughs> and yeah. I, I think that as long as the child is enjoying the activity, there really isn't a best resource. So whether it's a Duolingo app, whether it's watching your favorite show in mm -hmm. French, whether it's going on a trip mm -hmm. to Quebec, reading a book that they enjoy in French, the important thing is that they are in control of their learning. That's wonderful. That's such good advice that I think a lot of us need to hear as parents because we want to be like, oh, I need to help them. I need to find something, buy something, do something. And it's like, you know, mm -hmm. let the child pick. If they're mm -hmm. happy, exactly. then it's going to work. Do you have any memories of like trips or traditions that you are able to partake in because you're a trilingual speaker? Oh, that's a great question. So a trip that I have taken thus far, I still have big plans mm -hmm. um, ahead. Uh, but so Wait. far, um, the most memorable trip uh, would be... I would say the most memorable. A few summers ago, I taught English as a second language in Taiwan, and that was very a very special yeah. experience for me because having been been an ESL student about 20 years ago myself, to now being able to be on the other side, being the teacher who is teaching English as a second language. Um, I felt that was very, very special, mm -hmm. and um, I'm planning to hopefully um, be able to teach abroad again, this time in Japan, because I had such a wonderful experience teaching ESL abroad um, when I was in Taiwan, and I would really love to do it again in another country, perhaps. I, I find that it's something really special to be able to, it feels like a full circle moment to be able to see mm -hmm. not only how much I've progressed in, in terms of my language acquisition and in terms of my journey, but also now to be able to use what I learned, what I experienced and apply it to help others learn the language. You're paying it forward. Like somebody taught you, now you're teaching. There is 
a very nice uh, circle with teaching. I think many teachers, we stay in it because there's so much reward in like seeing kids learn, seeing them struggle and then and then realize and, you know, it's not that we teach for the pay as all teachers know, um, at least not where I <laughs> teach. But yeah, I think teaching is a very I couldn't agree more. career. And being able to travel, I mean, ESL is in yeah. demand all yeah. over the world right now. We're very lucky to be English speakers because you can really, mm-hmm. you can go anywhere and teach English. And even, you know, I taught in France and they usually like to have the British accent, mm-hmm. but I was teaching at the elementary level there. So they were like, it's fine. Like, you know, they'll, they'll take anyone because they're just doing I introductory. See. Yeah, like, France is numbers. somewhere that I have yet to visit, but oh. it's definitely at the top of the list. So before we end... Um, I myself, and I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to know, uh, is there a way to pre-order the book? Um, and also let us know how we can find you on Absolutely. the internet so, so that we can keep following um, you. I have um, an Instagram page for, um, where you can get all of the information about my book, Trilingual Me, Moi Trilingue. Um, my handle is trilingualme.moitrilingue. And I'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> I'm so excited to finally be able to share my story with everyone. Um, and I, I really appreciate you um, supporting um, the book. And I can't wait to hear what you think of it once you, uh, once you read it. Yes, I will definitely let you know. We will be putting it on Thank the page so on the Future is Bilingual Instagram page as well. Yes, it's such a pleasure. So thank you. Thank you um, so much for all of your time today and telling us so much about your story and how you've become trilingual and just you've been such a wealth of information that I hope everyone has gotten as much out of your, um, your interview as I have. Yeah, the pleasure was all mine. So yes, I will add all of those links into the show notes for anyone who is curious. And yeah, please um, come follow both, both of us on Instagram we hope you guys stay well stay safe <laughs> could you teach us a word or a phrase in one or more so um first of all i just want to say i really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today so um i'm, I'm going to teach you how to say thank you in the three languages that i mm-hmm. speak so in russian thank you is spasiba and then thank you we know in english <laughs> And in French, it's merci. Mm-hmm. Well, merci beaucoup. How do you say Bonjour thank you very spasiba. much in Russian? Bonjour, spasiba. Okay, I've never actually heard the that full version. I've heard spasiba, but never anything more. <laughs> so thank you, spasiba. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you, and we will definitely be keeping in touch. If anyone does want to speak some French with the two of us, uh, reach out. We will we'll, we'll create some sort of a, a Zoom something because I would love to just have adults I can speak French with. I'm also in a bubble here of English. <laughs> Thank you so much. Merci beaucoup. C'était un plaisir. Le futur est bilingue. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Thank you to Ina for being willing to be my guest and for speaking to us so openly about her story. Thank you as well to Amy, who submitted uh, the recording of her daughter and herself saying the future is bilingual in their native language, which is French. Merci beaucoup. So if you don't know, the, the podcast recently turned one years old, and 
that happened right around my own birthday as well. So on Instagram, I asked people if they could please submit themselves saying the future is bilingual in their native language. And Amy is the first one to do that. So thank you so much. Merci beaucoup. It's perfect for this episode because Ina and I talked a lot about learning French and loving being a French teacher and all that good stuff. So if you enjoyed this episode, uh, as always, I would really appreciate it if you could share it with a friend, take a screenshot and post it to your Instagram story and tag me so that I can see it and thank you. It would just really help us to grow our community. And if you're interested in submitting um, just a five-second blurb saying the future is bilingual in your native language, I would really love that. If you do not follow me on Instagram, um, if you do follow Instagram, you can find it in the bio. There's a link directly to how to do that. Um, if you don't have Instagram, you can email me at tfibpodcast at gmail.com and I will send you the link there. It's very easy to do. It's just um, you click the link and then press record, send it. Just just saying the future is bilingual. You don't have to say what language it is or anything like that. Um, I would just really appreciate it to make the podcast more multilingual and just have some fun hearing some other voices on the podcast. So again, thank you guys so much. Stay well, be safe, and we'll catch you soon. Bye.